The Adam Crowley Show. Oh, he went okay, from the well, bottom. I give up, man. If you're not going to be honest about it, I give. John, my nipple, looks like, my nipple looks like my cat, like a, like my cat's nipple. <laughs> Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Hi everybody, Harry Carey here and welcome to the Adam Crowley Show. Due to some unfortunate technical difficulties, Adam's running a tad bit behind. But hey, let's enjoy some good football talk in the meantime. A couple weeks ago, Phil Steele was on the program. Let's take a listen to what he had to say about Pitt, West Virginia, and maybe even some Penn State. Hey, Phil, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, a real pleasure. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the University of Pittsburgh. I do want to touch on West Virginia and Penn State with you uh, as well, but I don't think so far that we've seen Pat Narduzzi quite live up to the expectations. Uh, he had a good year a couple of years ago. Uh, they defeated Clemson last year. They beat Miami. So there have absolutely been moments. How far away do you think this team is from being a legitimate division contender? Um, I don't know if they're going to quite get there this year, but uh, I see the improvement coming for uh, Pitt. And I think once once they get to the uh, Narduzzi, having his entire personnel on the defensive side of the ball, including those shutdown cornerbacks, then I think we're going to see the offense maybe uh, get some decent quarterback play. Things could change. And, and this year I do see an improved Pitt team. I mean, they're a team that had been to a lot of bowl games, just came painfully close last year at 5-7. and seven. Uh, when I talked to Coach Narduzzi this year, he likes what he's got at quarterback and Kenny Pickett says he could be the best they've had there in quite some time. Uh, you look at the running backs with Hall, Davis, and Allison, they're all solid. Uh, the receiving core, uh, is decent, not overwhelming. The offensive line looks good and defensively the front seven looks good. My number 43 rated defensive line, number 25 set of linebackers. Now, uh, Pitt, when you look at them, uh, coming into the season, they've got a fairly tough schedule. Number 20 in the country, you know, talking, taking on teams like Penn State in the non-conference slate, Notre Dame in the non-conference slate as well. But I think this team's got a chance to get back to a bowl game. I don't know if they're a, a true contender in the coastal this year though. You did not mention the fact that they're playing defending champion UCF as well in the non-conference schedule, Phil. <laughs> Forgot. That sort of slipped my mind. And, uh, yeah, and UCF had a great record last year. Uh, and, actually, Pitt will probably be a slight underdog in that game. UCF has got a lot of talent coming back this year. Uh, Phil Steele joining us here on the Crowley Show. So when you look at the ACC Coastal pecking order, uh, where do you have Pitt in terms of that this year? Uh, actually, I have them sixth, uh, which is pretty low considering where I thought they would be when I, after I finished talking to Coach Narduzzi. But it's a loaded division here in the Coastal. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech always rebounds big when Paul Johnson uh, is there, and they're coming off a losing season. Virginia Tech, you always have to count near the top. I think Duke's got one of the best defenses in the country. I read it number 18. Wow. And North Carolina is a team that, uh, you know, in 15 and 16, they were 13 and 4 in ACC play. Everybody forgets about that. Everybody's picking them sixth in the, the division right now. But I think when you look at North Carolina, they don't have to face Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, or B.C. They've got four, uh, 13 returning starters coming back. I think they're going to be a much improved team. And they've always been tough on Pitt since they've joined the ACC. Phil Steele joining us here 
on the Crowley Show. Now, how about Pitt's second opponent of the season, Penn State? I think Pitt fans would consider the season a success, no matter what happens, if they're just able to beat Penn State. Uh, what kind of chances do you give them in that contest? Uh, you know, I, I rank it pretty pretty decent chance. I've got, uh, right now in Vegas, Penn State's a 14-point favorite, but I only have about a 6-point favorite wow. in the game. Uh, you know, when you look at Penn State, they lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball. They only have three returning starters on that side. They're still very talented. In fact, you know, going through the team every year with Coach Franklin, I'll take you back to the first year, which was five years ago. They went about one deep. Very, very little guys in the second deep or third deep. Now they go three, four deep in almost every single position. They've got Trace McSorley back, and yes, they're going to miss Saquon Barkley, but I think Miles Sanders does well there. The receiving core is solid with Tompkins and Johnson. The offensive line, I rate 50 best in the country, the defensive line. I still rate eighth best in the country despite the losses. And the special teams are good as well. They're one of nine teams that rank in my top units in all eight position categories. And they're a legitimate national title contender as well. I have number 12 in my power poll. But when you look at their schedule, uh, they, you know, they get Ohio State at home, which is huge. And they're, they only have one road game against a team that had a winning record last year. That's Michigan, a team they beat 42 to 13. I think if everything came together well for Penn State, especially defensively, they could be extremely tough. But, uh, I look at this as a rivalry game. I look at the fact that the last time Penn State traveled to Pitt, they ended up losing. Last year's game was probably closer than the final score. Sure. And that's why I don't have them an overwhelming favorite on the road. I think that's going to be a great game. Phil, uh, just looking at Penn State's schedule, as you alluded to, uh, Wisconsin's on there. Uh, they'll play Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. How do you see those teams tiered? I, I see a lot of people have Wisconsin and their returning offensive line as a, a legit favorite this year. Yeah, I've got Wisconsin's offensive line rated number one in the country, and they got some guy at running back, Jonathan Taylor, who uh, really burst on the scene last year. They've got a veteran junior quarterback in Alex Hornerbrook. Uh, they have my number three or number two linebacking core in the country, number fourteen set of DBs. They're loaded. The only thing I don't like about Wisconsin this year is their schedule gets a lot tougher. You look at last year; they had one of those schedules where their road games were against Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, and Nebraska. Well, this year their road games are against Iowa in Kansas. Stadium, Michigan, Northwestern, and Penn State. So it's a lot tougher road schedule for the Badgers this year. But I do think that there's still a legitimate title contender along with the four teams in the East. And the Big Ten East is the best division in all of college football. We're talking Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and Michigan State all in the same division. And I think all four of those teams are legitimate top ten and legitimate uh, title contenders. I want to flip to West Virginia now. Uh, I am a big West Virginia guy. Uh, went there. took me five years to graduate, but I think that's one of the reasons why I love them as much as I do. Are they a legit Big 12 contender this year? I think they are. The Big 12 is wide open. I would go uh, six deep in my Big 12 title contenders, and you have to put West Virginia up there. And they've got the, you know, they're the sexy team because they've got Will Greer back at quarterback. And, you know, I think they probably would have won a couple more games than seven last year had Greer not got injured at the end of the season. If they can keep him healthy, they're in great shape. They've got two outstanding receivers in Gary Jenkins and David Sills. Jennings, I should say, and Sills. Uh, both basically 1,000-yard receivers last year. The offensive line looks solid. And when Tony Gibson, their defensive coordinator, finally has a veteran defense. I mean, he's had three returning starters and three returning starters the last two years. 
Now, this year he steps it up. He's got five returning starters. A lot more of the top tacklers are back. I think they're going to be a much improved on the defensive side of the ball. Now, their schedule's not easy. I've read it the 12th toughest in the country. Talking about road games against NC State. Uh, Lubbock and Texas Tech is never easy. Iowa State and Ames is not easy. Texas, Oklahoma State. And then, of course, home games against Oklahoma and TCU. But to me, the Big 12 is wide open. Oklahoma lost a lot with Mayfield. Lost some of the, uh, the defensive, uh, side of the ball as well. TCU's very inexperienced on the deep or on the offensive side. And uh, you know, Texas is you know, we're still waiting for them to make that step up. So any of those six teams can win it. Phil Steele joining us here on the Crowley show. You can check it out, PhilSteele.com. Get the magazine. Uh, I do every single year, and I read it at the beach, and I'm going to the beach next week, and I'll be reading it uh, there. Uh, Phil, I I did want to ask a question, not specifically about West Virginia, but I can use them as the jumping-off point. They've really had a lot of success with grad transfers and transfers overall. they got a couple coming from the defensive line, uh, one guy from USC and uh, another guy from Clemson. Do they? It seems to me that they do that maybe more than a lot of other teams, and I think geographically them being on the East Coast and having to play in the Big 12 probably factors in, but what are some other teams that do a lot of that? Well, we're starting to see more and more of it in college football, and uh, it's one of the main reasons that, uh, you know, my magazine goes to the press a lot later than everybody else. You know, I look at Joe Burrow going from Ohio State to LSU. Uh, we go out at the end of May after the coaches have had their exit interviews with the players. Uh, you know, some players don't like what they hear in the exit interviews. They have to transfer with the grad transfer rule. Uh, they get signed up in another place pretty quickly. But I've seen it more and more prevalent. In fact, a lot of times, well, you know, this year I talked to over 100 head coaches during the uh, spring uh, and we spend about an hour with each head coach going over every single player on the team and sometimes I'll be like coach you're a little thin at this position and they'll be like yeah we're looking to bring a graduate transfer in here so there's still going to be more signed and I think it's just a uh, it's not only a trend right now I think it's a, a way where a lot of teams are looking to fill their needs it's much easier with a graduate transfer than it is with a JUCO because generally JUCOs they take about a year to get up to speed with the FBS level and then the second year they have the big time year right but a graduate transfer has been playing at the fbs level uh, phil when do you have any downtime i mean how much how much time do you put in uh, to the magazine obviously it seems like a lot and in terms of your favorite coaches who are the guys that you like to talk to the most who are the most forthcoming and candid uh, I think the majority of them are, which I really like, because they know if they say something to me, it's, uh, you know, that's where it ends right there. But, uh, probably favorite coaches, I would say, out of the SEC, uh, Jimbo Fishers, uh, one of my favorites to talk to each and every year out of the, uh, Big Ten. Uh, I'll go with, uh, James Franklin. You know, and I, I hate to single out favorites here, because there's so many good, good, sure. good coaches. Uh, you know, out of the Pac-12, um, let's go with uh, let's go with Clay Clay Helton, USC. Or no, no, David Shaw of Stanford. Uh, I say David Shaw because I could talk to him about NFL stuff as well. And he'll he'll uh, I'll, I'll talk to him about what the Cleveland Browns draft, for example. And he 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 gives me the time, and I really appreciate that. Uh, the big the Big Twelve, a lot of good coaches there. I'd have to go with Gary Patterson from TCU. So there's you know, there's so many uh, good head coaches out there. I enjoy each and every one of the conversations and uh we start the magazine stuff at the Sunday after Thanksgiving because some team season is complete. We've got about fifteen people working here on the magazine and then we put six full months into it. A lot of lot of long hours during that time. So right now, this is like my downtime of year. I'm working fifty, sixty hours a week just doing radio shows. Uh, 
it's almost like being on vacation. <laughs> Last couple of things here uh, for Phil Steele. Uh, Phil, when you're putting together the magazine this year, uh, are there four teams that stand out to you that you think, okay, they are clearly the playoff contenders, or do you have a group of 8, 9, 10 that you would consider? Yeah, I'd say a group of 8, 9, 10. There's two teams that I would definitely plop in there. Uh, that would be, and really going on a limb here, Alabama. And, uh, you know, generally when you look at Alabama, they're always 117, 102nd in my experience level. This year they're number 50 on my experience oh, chart. No. So that's, uh, yeah, they're, they're actually, because they lose so many guys in the NFL, they never have that experience. Now they've got it this year. And when you look at their schedule, they're going to be a double digit favorite in every single game. So I got a little the pen out and I put Alabama into the playoffs this year. And then the other one was, uh, we're, we'll go, let's go to the ACC. And I'll, I'll tell you, after the season ended, I said, well, Clemson is going to really have to rebuild that defensive line because they got four guys that are going to leave early for the NFL. Guess what? One by one, they all decided to return. Uh, Farrell, Lawrence, Wilkins, Bryant. That's the best defensive line in college football, perhaps the best defense in college football. And they have a top ten offense. And Clemson, despite having to play Florida State, Georgia Tech, and a Boston College on the road, I think they'll be favored in every game this year. And uh, those are the two teams that I pretty much feel really, really good about making the playoffs this year. Phil, really appreciate the time. Uh, love the magazine, love all the stuff that you do, and uh, love the fact that you're willing to uh, go on radio here and throughout the country. Appreciate the time. Hey, Adam, always enjoy talking football with you. A lot of fun today. Thank you. Be good. Thanks. Hi, there it goes, Phil Steele. Always a cornucopia of college football knowledge, that guy. Hey, coming up after the break, hopefully it's some Adam Crowley, but don't keep your fingers crossed on that one. It's ESPN Pittsburgh. Sally Wigan likes him, and so should you. Adam, I think I think having millennials on the radio is awesome. I don't hate you. God. Adam Crowley. My dogs listen to you when I walk <laughs> out the door. On ESPN Pittsburgh. Hi, welcome back to the show. Still no sign of Adam Crowley. That's all right. Harry Carey's gotcha. Everybody in Pittsburgh loves one thing. That's the Pittsburgh Penguins. We caught up with Jason Mackey earlier last week. Let's hear what Mackey had to say. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for joining the show. Doing great, Crowley. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I want to get this out in the open. I apologize for drunk texting during the NHL draft. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, just a little bit hammered. Drunk texting me about the NHL draft. That was, well, I guess not directly about the NHL draft, but about media availability at the NHL draft. That well, we, we got around to that, but I started out saying, Mackie, what's the scoop, man? What do you got for me? Dude, you were reporting on the reporters. When I got Mike Sullivan alone, you texted me wanting to know what I had. I was <laughs> writing furiously, and I get this text from you. Like, how do you even know what I have? I'm tapped in on the people who are tapped in. How about that? Dude, my wife didn't even know what I what I had what I was doing, and here Crowley finds stuff out. This is remarkable. Poor Metzer. I sent him a paragraph and a half. Hey, man, what are you hearing? What's going on? What's the buzz there? And he's like, I don't know, man. Sorry. He was, he was very nice about it, but, you know. Uh, Mackie, this Cullen signing that the Penguins made, uh, did you see it coming at all? And, well, did you see it coming at all? Not whatsoever, pal. Not whatsoever. And even to the point that I texted Matt on, um, I don't know what morning that was, Sunday morning, saying, have you made a decision yet on next year? Um, I did, you know, I hadn't 
hadn't heard. I I texted him jokingly when a picture surfaced of him wearing a four one two shirt and said like good eyes, pal. And so you know I didn't hear anything about his hockey future and he never answered me. And now I figured out why he never answered me. And and so no, I didn't see it coming uh, whatsoever. And I don't think it was a long time in the making. I mean I truly believe. Rutherford and Cullen, when, when he says that after they signed Shane, Rutherford picked up the phone and called him, I, I think there was a period where the Penguins thought that spot might go to Chris Kunitz, but you saw Kunitz get one year, one million. I think the Penguins wanted to save a little bit on that. And so Rutherford picked up the phone, called Cullen. Cullen has been eager to come back here for a long time. Um, has missed Pittsburgh, did not find the fit he had here in Minnesota. And so it was a pretty easy deal to get done. So if the Penguins were interested in Kunitz and then obviously did wind up bringing Cullen in, that does lead to the question, do they do they believe that they had a leadership void last year? I don't think it hurts to bring in extra leadership, but I didn't know that they might have had a problem. Do you think they had a problem? Yeah, I do. Wow. I do. And I think that was a, you know, I don't think they were hugely deficient, but they missed a guy with some mileage on him. And I know that they hoped that they could – turn the reins over to Matt Murray and Brian Dumoulin and some young guys. And I, believe me, I think the world of Matt Murray and Brian Dumoulin and some of these guys, but they're just it's through no fault of their own. They're not 41 years old. They're not 38 years old. You need to have somebody with a little bit of perspective. And looking back now, Adam, I can, I can see where Jim is coming from. You know, there's just a dose of perspective there that Matt Cullen has in tough situations and playoffs and Kunis as well. Um, that, you know, Jake Gensel might be able to do all the things in the world on the ice, but off the ice, he just doesn't have that yet. And that's no fault of his own, but you need to go out and get one of those guys if you don't have them. And so kudos to the Penguins for acknowledging that. Uh, hot takey radio question upcoming. Are you ready? Oh, boy. And don't think that there's any opinion behind it, but I will ask the question. Does that reflect poorly on the captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins? No, it does not. I don't think so whatsoever. I think Sidney Crosby is a tremendous captain. I don't, you know, leadership is not a a one-person thing. You know, you can't look at this and blame Sid. I think, if anything, you look at it and blame Mike Sullivan and and Jim Rutherford, probably more Rutherford than Sullivan. It's just how your team is constituted. You know, the, the Penguins had a lot of leaders the two years they won the Cup other than Sid. And to quote Jack Johnson, Sid drives the boat. But at the same time, you have to have guys in support roles. And I, I told this story on your show before, but I believe it, it was one of those games in Ottawa. Maybe game four. Um, they had a really bad loss. They played terribly. Matt Cullen was just sitting at his locker stall. Like he was just literally waiting for somebody to come up to him, ask him a question, and then he was going to go off. And I was lucky enough to be that guy. I noticed Cullen sitting over there, went up to him first, and I said, What would you think, Matt? And he goes, We played like blank and just went off and then you know colin starts going everybody else sees they all gather around but like that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about like somebody needs to say something and sid will run through a wall for you but he's probably not going to be that guy who stands up and says says something that like everybody turns and says wait he he came out and said what he did what you know sid's just he's too sort of by the book for that in terms of matt cullen's fit on the ice What's his fit on the ice? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to look at a couple different things here, Adam. I think what having Matt Cullen on the phone enables them to do is to kind of sniff around the trade market, and I think they're going to do that. Um, if nothing works out, Derek Broussard would probably be the guy to go. And, again, I don't I don't think they're going to actively look to trade Broussard. I just think that Jim's going to kind of put an ear to the rails and, and see what happens, and he could if he wanted to. 
Uh, let's say they come back just the way they are. You know, nothing happens. I think Cullen is probably your fourth-line center. I think you probably try to bump Riley Shea into wing. Um, but whatever you do, you have some flexibility in your bottom six. And then if somebody gets hurt, you're probably going to have no issue whatsoever moving Cullen up in the lineup. He's shown he can do it throughout his career. Um, and so you just have a bunch of other options. As for Jack Johnson, and we're joined by Jason Mackey here on the Crowley Show, uh, yes, the analytics are terrible, uh, but what do the Penguins see in him in terms of skill set uh, that they can hone, and what do you think that they've seen that they like about this guy? Jason? Jason? I'm here, Adam. My phone just cut out on you, I think, or something. I lost you for a second. Are you okay? You got me. Are you good? We don't have him. Call him back. We'll get Jason back. I want to know what the skill set is. I got to know what Jack Johnson's going to provide to the Penguins. Mackey did disagree, though. Penguins had a leadership void last year. Uh-oh. 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 Sidney Crosby not being a good captain. Uh-oh. What happened? What's he doing? I am not there every day like Mackey is. I'm not. So for him to say that, there's something behind it. But I think the loss of the Boninos of the world, guys like that, they matter from a hockey playing standpoint. We got Mackie back. Jason, are you okay? I'm okay. Yes, I was I was talking. I guess it wasn't going anywhere. Okay, I was scared. Uh, what do the Penguins <laughs> see in Jack Johnson? Well, the Penguins see in Jack Johnson a, a physical defenseman who can play a simple game. Um, he can make a good first pass, and that's not just like fluff or hockey talk or whatever. I mean, there, there are analytics out there that – you know, might criticize Johnson in some areas, but him his ability to make a good first pass and get out of the zone is very good. Um, but they think that Sergey Gonchar can rehab him. They can sit down together and figure out what works in his game. Um, they're not buying the stuff that happened in Columbus. They're not buying the stuff that's happened throughout Johnson's career. Um, I think the hope is to play him with Justin Schultz and for him to kind of be a straight man with Schultz and enable Schultz to, to do some different things. So uh, the Penguins weren't scared off at all by what had happened to Johnson and Columbus. Are the Penguins better today than they were at the end of the season? I think they are, Adam. I really do. And, you know, I like Matt Hunwick as a player. I like him as a person. I completely understand why Buffalo was interested, but it wasn't going to work here. And so you've taken that player and you've turned him into somebody who, you know, if everything we're talking about works out with Jack Johnson, is going to be a really big fit, potentially a top-four defenseman. Um, I liked Connor Sherry, too, but there wasn't a regular role for him. And so if you're going to tell me that they can take Connor Sherry out of the lineup and put Matt Cullen in, I would have made that trade every day of the week. And other than that, everybody else is coming back. So I I like what they've done. Um, I don't know. I, I think I might be in the minority there, given some of the fan feedback that I've already gotten. Oof. You've probably gotten it, too. Um, if somebody was asking me, did Rutherford take too many pucks to the head when he was a goaltender because these moves don't make any sense. And while I understand, I think we should all kind of let him play out a little bit. I don't, I'm not ready to crush Rutherford just yet for what he did. I think there is a, a potential that these moves work out very well. And, and can you really criticize a guy in a management team or whatever that has won the past two Stanley Cups thinking, hey, these guys basically did that. We're going to let them go do it again and just make a few minor tweaks. I don't have a problem with that. Jason Mackey joining us here on the Crowley Show. How much did Crosby push for Jack Johnson? Actually, not much at all, um, which was different than what I had heard. 
um, in all of this. I think it was different than a lot of what people believe. And, you know, I, I think Sid tried to talk to Jack Johnson uh, just about how much he loves Pittsburgh. And, you know, I think Jack maybe viewed that as kind of a push, but I guess Sid just, you know, kind of does that a lot. He talks about how happy he is in Pittsburgh and how friendly of a situation it is. So maybe to Johnson it came off as a bit of a sales pitch, but I don't think in Crosby's mind it was. I know Crosby didn't go to Jim Rutherford and and say, like, you have to sign this player or I'm going to take my toys and go home. I mean, it wasn't that sort of deal. Um, but if Crosby vouching for what the Penguins have in terms of team culture and player treatment and whatever qualifies as a sales, as a sales pitch, then – and Sid did do that. Um, I, I just think that, you know, it, it wasn't as overt as maybe all of us thought initially. Jason, I saw the Penguins were ninth in terms of Stanley Cup odds out of Vegas for next year. Seems like that's not the place that they should be. I, I, I think that the Jack Johnson signing and them not doing anything sexy over free agency maybe rubbed a couple people the wrong way. The way I look at it is, if Broussard's the player they thought he was going to be and Kessel is healthy and Malkin's healthy, they might not lose to the Capitals. So I think that they're as good as anybody in the Eastern Conference. I think they're as good as anybody in the league. Yeah, I don't buy that stuff, man. I mean, that's the same service that last year at the Vegas Golden Knights fed last. I mean, what, what are we really doing here? I, I don't – I I see a lot of writers, like, put that crap on Twitter. Like, I mean, I guess you're – sort of conveying information right or wrong, but I just don't I don't see how anybody can look at these teams right now and say something's going to work. I mean, I'm sitting here saying, you know, I think Cullen is going to be a good fit or Johnson's going to be a good fit or something, but, like, what do I know? You know, I, there's a little bit of a short bet with Cullen, but you just can't – you don't know any of this stuff until they get on the ice. You know, and Jack Johnson is such a, a wild card at this point that, yeah, I mean, I understand why Jim made the move, and I, I would bet on – Sergey Gonchar, too, and that was one of Rutherford's quotes from Sunday. Um, but is it a sure thing? No. Is it a sure thing that, you know, I mean, the Capitals could go into this thing, and Nicholas Baxter and Kenny Kuznetsov and Alex Ovechkin could all get hurt and be lost for the year. So I don't buy any of that crap. I mean, I know that the Penguins, as currently constituted, if they can play the way they've proved two of the past three years, they'll be just fine. If you look at a good hockey team and how they're supposed to be built, you know, they have a Stanley Cup winning goaltender. They have two of the best offensive players, centers in the history of the game, some really good complementary pieces. I think their defense is as good as anybody in the league, uh, which may sound insane, but on a good day they can be. Uh, and, you know, that's good enough to be in the thick of it, in my opinion. Yeah, there's a guy by the name of uh, Carlson who's still out there who might change the balance of power a little bit somewhere. Yeah, I mean, Carlson or Tavares? Well, Tavares moving, I mean, that's huge. But now if, if Ottawa does wind up moving Carlson, that's going to be big. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, and, you know, and, and I, we all look at the Tavares thing and say, oh, my God, Toronto, and the, the balance of power is shifted to Toronto and whatever. Like, what on the off chance that it doesn't work out? What on the off chance that John Tavares gets hurt? Then all of a sudden we're, we're screwed in that stuff. But I don't know. I, I'll be intrigued by the Eric Carlson thing and see, seeing where he goes, but um, I don't know if that's going to make any one team, you know, that wasn't a Stanley Cup contender before instantly a Stanley Cup contender because they got Eric Carlson. You know, I look at Carlson and think his game would look really good in Vegas. You know, they need a player like that. But to me, they're, they're right there to begin with. I wouldn't be ready to bury Vegas anyway. I mean, they're going to, I don't think the West is nearly as good as the East, but 
when all is said and done, I think Vegas is going to be there. And then you pick up a piece like Carlson, and my goodness, I mean that that really does give you a bit of you know a huge competitive advantage. Penguins are uh, definitely in on Carlson, right? <laughs> we should ask Rutherford the next time. It was it was a riot asking him about Tavares, man, and I, and I was one of the ones doing it too. He's, yeah, he's going to let me know by five o'clock if he's going to be a third line <laughs> center. But they're not in on Carlson. I'm sure those rumors will pop up. They're hilarious. Well, it just I think Penguins fans are spoiled, obviously, based on the team's success, but it seems like they're always linked to those big fish. So when a guy is out there, someone in the Canadian media always floats, well, watch out for Pittsburgh, watch out for Pittsburgh. So I'd suggest in these circumstances not to watch out for Pittsburgh when it comes to Eric Carls. Well, the other thing is they're their own worst enemy on this stuff, too. And Jim Rutherford is very aggressive in terms of like <laughs> checking on players and, and looking at things and you know, when you do that a lot, you end up getting linked to guys. You know, expressing interest is, like, different than putting a full-court press on potentially recruiting a guy or trying to get him right. or whatever. But the Penguins, will they'll kick tires a lot, and so they get linked and whatever. But, I mean, a guy like Aaron Carlson, come on, folks, let's use our brains. I mean, it's, it's not going to happen. Jason, appreciate the time, man. Thanks, as always. And uh, I'm going to a bachelor party this weekend, so expect me to ask you about Carlson via drunk text. By this weekend, pal, I am not going to be talking hockey with anybody, at least I hope. We're going to take some much-needed downtime, but enjoy your bachelor party. And enjoy your downtime. See you, pal. All right, later. Hi, there he goes. That was Jason Mackey, one of the best penguin mods in town. Speaking of penguins, I love those animals. They always look like they're wearing those cute little fluffy tuxedos and walk around in a waddle, kind of like me when you think about it. Hey, coming up next, hopefully Crowley's back. I wouldn't hold your breath, though. I think that guy's just taking the day off. I'm starting to get a little ticked off about it. It's ESPN Pittsburgh. Sports talk with a little bit of an edge. Can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Hey, guess what? I'm here. And the great thing for all of you is I've got three hours worth of content to now pack into two hours and four minutes. That's right. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to buy time, okay? I'm going to talk for about three minutes. And then whenever we come back at the top of the hour, then you're going to get my monologue. Then shiz going to get real. How's that sound? That work for you? You have found the Crowley Show where your mom listens and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you could follow me on Twitter. Join the cast of dozens there, at underscore Adam Crowley. Kellen is at the North Park Lounge in Cranberry. And a trip to see the Pirates play the Reds in Cincinnati on July 21st is on the line. You can get two tickets to one game, hotel for two nights at double occupancy, and a $100 gas card. And it's for the Mega Bowl! The Mega Bowl! The Buckos are two and a half games up now on the Cincinnati Reds. Nothing has changed since I last spoke to you on that front. But my God has a lot come out of Neil Huntington's mouth since I last spoke to you. And I also see, as I look around the interwebs and as I poked around on the radio on my drive back from my former radio home, the North Park Lounge in Cranberry, that it's Le'Veon Bell season, right? Because there's only one week until the Steelers don't get to sign him to an extension and he has to play on the franchise tag, but... Since I've got plenty of other stuff to talk about today, I think we're going to use the rest of the week to talk about Le'Veon Bell. I think they all planned wrong. 
They can talk about Le'Veon all week long. Doesn't have to be today. It's a whole week. Me, on the other hand, I'm going to talk about the pertinent stuff, like Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson. Maybe they're playing in a exhibition. Winner gets $10 million. One of those guys needs a lot of money, right? Or do they each get $10 million? I don't know. Who cares? To me, it signifies that golf is dying. Or maybe it's the future of golf. We'll see if we have time to fit that in, too. Neil Huntington says it's a big week for the Pirates. That's right. A big week. Because they're not seven games under five hundred. That's a big week for the Bucks. We might be buyers. We just have to win all five games against the Milwaukee Brewers and, you know, find a way to beat the Nationals three times. If they win the next eight games, oh, they'll be above five hundred. It would be a mirage. They're better off selling. They need to tear this biatch down. And that means, in my opinion, say goodbye to Clint Hurdle, say goodbye to Neil Huntington. If you're not going to win with the owner, you might as well try something else below him. Because Neil Huntington's drafted about as well as I would on MVP baseball. It ain't good. And when you're a small market team or a team that has its own imposed salary cap, you absolutely have to draft well. He hasn't. Or you've got to get more out of the players you have. And unfortunately for Clint Hurdle, whom I like, he hasn't done enough of that either. And it's really not an indictment on him, but... Heads have to roll. Start the whole damn franchise from scratch. All right, I'll give you all the takes in length. At length. Coming up next, we got Matt Williamson joining us at 520. He'll tell us everything we do need to know about Le'Veon, but just for a minute, okay? It's a Crowley Show.